chapter 17 says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead uh, was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw that woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. It's a double phrase there in the Greek of the same word. I wondered with great wonderment or I was astonished with great astonishment. It just adds emphasis to the astonishment that John had as he saw this religious system filled with the blood of the saints of the Lord. So we're brought into this picture of Babylon. Um, I think it's important for us, as crazy as this is, at least to be familiar with it because we're living in a world today that is bent on a globalism. Now, Babylon through these two chapters has two phases. There is an ecclesiastical Babylon, a religious Babylon, a religious system and that religious system is riding a commercial political system of Babylon, the beast. And, and both of those things are there. And certainly the world we're living in, we're beginning to see and to feel the pressure of some of those things. You and I are, are pretty exclusive in what we believe. We, we believe one thing. And yet there's, there's this coming together that really, if you are not a hater, but you're a lover, you have to be accepting of everything, whatever they believe, whatever they practice, whatever they do with their lives. Everything has to be hunky-dory. Everything has to be fine. And this great whorish system is going to come, and it's going to embrace all that. And we look around us. We see it. Look. Uh, the whole move towards globalism now, militarily, because there are people that are afraid with nuclear weapons we could wipe ourselves out. We need to get ourselves together somehow. Economically, the economies of the world are shaken. With the pandemic, we all have to cooperate, and if we don't cooperate, we're haters. You know, there's this whole movement towards, you know, uniformity globally, globalism. Some of that is taking place because there are some sincere people who really believe 
if we don't get it together, we're going to be in a heap of trouble. We need to kind of organize everything. There are others that are just power hungry. There is, and I'll say it, a conspiracy. There. You know, there, there are the rich, there are the power brokers, there are those for their own benefits who would love to pull everything under one roof and control everything. Um, there is this, you know, whole move that we all have to do the same thing. If we care about one another, we all have to act the same way. That, that is all swirling around us. It's a precursor to the things that we see here. But understand the world right now is being desensitized to this globalist idea of religion and politics. You can see how that the culture has worn down our perspective of sexuality and what that is and where it belongs and how it should work. It's just worn that down to powder. And it's going to do the same thing in regards to a global government and a global religious system. And, you know, sometimes as we look at it, you know, Christians, how can this be happening? Oh, when are we going to get back to normal? I don't know if we're ever going to get back to normal. You should be excited. We've been teaching about this for 30 years. Now it's happening, and you're freaking out? (laughs) Jesus is coming. That's what it tells us. You know, I talked to some Christians who are more excited about the return of Donald Trump than the return of Jesus Christ. (laughs) What is wrong with you? He doesn't have the answers. That's not who we're looking for. That's not who we don't want to be in the kingdom of Trump. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, there is something that's put before us here that's remarkable. John tells us that one of the angels that had the seven last plagues, and he recognizes him. People always say, hey, are we going to know each other in heaven? Sure, we're not going to be dumber there than we are here. (laughs) And he says, yeah, I saw one of the angels that had the seven vials. He recognized him, had the seven bowls of God's wrath. And the angel's walking over to him, said, come here, I want to show you something. And the, the bowl is empty. He's already poured it out. Chapter 16 gives us Armageddon and God's wrath poured out and the nations of the world are judged. And when this last angel had poured out God's wrath on the air, there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and a great earthquake that shook the whole world. And it says every city, all of the cities, plural, in all of the nations go down, if you can imagine that. And it tells us in verse 19, the great city, which is Jerusalem, divided in three parts, the cities, plural, of the nations fell And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Every island's fleeing away. Hail comes down and crushes this greatest army that humankind has ever seen in its history, gathered to Armageddon and around Jerusalem for over 200 miles. Now, you and I look at military forces. We see things on the news all the time. Understand John's watching this. He's astounded. He can't believe what he's... And he's standing there with his mouth hanging open. And this angel comes over and says, Hey, let me show you something. Like, no biggie. You know, John's like... You know, and angels, <clears throat> when I hear them talk and I, I watch them in Scripture, they always remind me a little of Spock from the Starship Enterprise. You know, just kind of 
Why are you seeking the living among the dead? You know, I mean, they're just, you can hear them with pointed ears, just like Spock. This one here, the whole world just fell apart. He said, hey, come here, let me show you something. In, in, in chapter, in verse 7, John says he's wondering with great wonderment. And the angel says, what are you wondering about? This is plain. You can understand what's going on. Listen to how the angel describes what's going on when he asks John, why are you wondering? Beginning of verse 7. The angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee of the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is uh, of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the horns which thou saw. Uh, there are ten kings which have received a kingdom as have not received a kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. I'm thinking, thanks, Spock. You just made that completely clear. You know, <laughs> you, you hear this voice from heaven. What, what are you confused about? This is what it is. And he goes through his explanation. You're like, wait, 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 you know. So I think these are important things for us to look at. There is, as we go through, there is a religious Babylon, which is depicted as this great whore, Mystery Babylon. <clears throat> and Mystery Babylon has ridden through the ages of human history. There is Commercial Babylon, which is still ahead of us. We see the tendrils of it all around us, but it will solidify. It will come together. Um, and there is the Beast Kingdom itself, which kind of rules over... All of this, there is satanic influence behind the scenes, behind the conspirators, behind the globalists, behind all of this. There are principalities and powers that hate Jesus Christ, that hate his sons and daughters, his blood-bought ones, that hate image bearers and want to take control of everything. So <clears throat> we're introduced then to this great religious system that rides on the beast. Well, let's look. And there came one of the seven angels which had, past tense, the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So, come hither hither. We have this in chapter 4 in Revelation. It tells us this. It says, And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, which was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. There it is again. I will show thee things that must be hereafter. Then we have here in chapter 17, come hither, I'll show you the great whore. And then in chapter 21, verse 9, it says there, 
And there came unto me one of the seven angels again, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, there is again, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. So three times in Revelation, John is specifically told, Come here, I want to show you something. Come here, I want to show you something. First time, it's about heaven. And then the Lord says, write this stuff down. Because he wants us to know about heaven. He wants us to know in the middle of everything there, there's the lamb with the marks of slaughter. He wants to know that everybody standing around singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain, that has redeemed us to God out of every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. He wants us to, to see heaven. So he said, come here, I want you to show you this. Now, it's come here, I want to show you the great whore. You know, I want you to see her, I want you to understand her. Come here, let me show her, you know. She committed fornication with the kings of the earth and, and so forth. She sits on many waters. Come here, I want to show you her. And then the last time is, come here, I want to show you the Lamb's wife, New City, Jerusalem. So the Lord wants us to understand heaven today as his sons and daughters, certainly. He wants us to understand the religious and commercial system that's evolving around us. Come here, let me show you this. This is from an angel. And he certainly wants us to understand the bride of Christ in contrast to the great whore where we spend eternity that's coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, that great city. We're going to take our time and study through that. I mean, this is probably the last time I'll teach Revelation. Last time I taught it was 14 years ago. Turning 71, I can't imagine teaching it again when I'm 85. But I can't imagine us being here when I'm 77. So th this will be the last time through. I'm taking my time, uh, especially when we get to that city. We'll just stay there for a while. It's a wonderful thing to see. But here's this great system, this religious system. Now what we're told about this religious system is that she sits on many waters. In verse 15 it says, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So what we're going to find out is this great religious system comes under the judgment of God when she has global influence, which is the last days. She's had an influence through the centuries, through different kingdoms. But her judgment, her final judgment, comes when the whole world is involved under her sorcery. That's got to be there. Commercial Babylon is going to be judged. <clears throat> if you want to study Babylon in the Bible, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, Revelation 17 and 18. Babylon is mentioned more than any city in the Bible but Jerusalem. So the Bible is really a tale of two cities. It's not a recent book. It's, it's an old book. It's the tale of two cities. And to understand Babylon, you need to read those passages. And we'll talk about it more next week. That commercial system is destroyed when it says the sun goes out, the moon turns the blood, the stars are not giving their light. That is the very last end of the Armageddon, that tribulation period. And that's the context of it here from 19 into 
17. So we have to understand these different things, you know. And in that scope, we have the city of Babylon. Now, what is it? Some people say, well, it's Rome, because Rome's the city of seven hills. It talks about seven hills there. It doesn't talk about seven hills here. It talks about seven mountains, different Greek word. Mountains are always governments or kingdoms. Or ki- it tells us here there's seven kings. Um, Rome's on seven hills. Rome's really on, I believe, eight hills on one side of the Tiber and two hills on the other. The tallest one of those hills is 250 foot above sea level. The rest are all between 85 and 150 foot above sea level. None of them are mountains. doesn't say she's seated upon seven hills. She says that she had been seated upon seven mountains, seven kingdoms. And we will trace that out. She is the world religious system for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. No doubt, in my mind at least, rapture, Ezekiel 38 and 39, the entire world is shaken Uh, The major forces of Russia and radical Islam are destroyed. Then someone can come out of Europe. America will be in disarray after the rapture and and come up with a seven-year treaty that will be signed to bring peace back to the world. At that point in time in that treaty, the Jews will be able to rebuild some structure on the Temple Mount. The Muslims will have part of the Temple Mount. You know, the, the religious systems of the world will all have to come together and cooperate Will the headquarters of this religious system be in Rome? Possibly. Look, when all true believers are gone from the Roman Catholic Church, from Calvary chapels, from Baptist churches, from Assembly God churches, whatever, when all the true believers are gone, then there's a religious structure that remains that then probably is going to pull all the other religions of the world under its umbrella. The Roman Catholic Church has been working on what's called the Catechism of the Universal Church. And it is a way to bring Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, to bring it all under one roof. So the religious system may find its headquarters there in Rome. Um, The United Nations has come up with, with what they call the Ark of hope, like like the Ark of the Covenant, only theirs is the Ark of Hope. And the Rockefellers and other movers and shakers have written ten laws to replace the Ten Commandments that are in the Ark of Hope that are globalist in their view, and they allow all of us, whatever we are morally, religiously, politically, all of us to be one big happy family. And you can turn on the news any day and see what a big happy family we are. So she comes to power the first three and a half years. She endorses the beast. She rides into power upon the Antichrist and his forces. But then he's the one who is and was not and comes up again. That's talking about the Antichrist when he receives a mortal head wound. He comes back to life afterwards. He's dead, comes back to life. Then the whole world wonders after him. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us at that point... He declares that he himself is God, then he becomes the eighth. And he goes and sits in the temple in Jerusalem. Everybody's got to worship him. And it tells us here, um, quickly, 
in uh, in verse 16. It says, And the ten horns which thou sawest uh, upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So three and a half years into this last seven-year period, the religious system that's global and dominates the first three and a half years is destroyed, and the Antichrist himself becomes the single religious system for the second half. But it rides in on this great harlot system. That's how the whole thing kicks off and begins. So important for you and I because, you know, John says, the angel said, come here, let me show you the harlot. Come here, let me show you the bride. And you need to see them. You need to understand them. I want you to understand heaven and the things that have to happen hereafter. It says, this harlot with whom the kings of the earth, verse 2, have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth, so this is global, have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So is it sexual uh, sin partly, no doubt. Look, we, we look at the culture today and um, gender is the most confusing thing in our culture. What are we? Somebody was just telling me this morning about a, a woman teacher somewhere that decided from now on she's they or them. And you offend when you call somebody Mr. or Mrs. Now they're telling us, right, you can do anything you want to do sexually, and if you say you believe sexuality is a gift from God that should happen between a married man and woman, you're a hater. You're a fundamentalist. That, that whole harlot system is cooking now and will come against us. But your kids that are two years old or four years old, ten years old, are allowed to decide without you what gender they are. Right? Your little boys in public school can decide whether they're a woman. The, the, the little girls can decide they're a boy. We're not allowed to do that, are they? Are we? Because I would consider myself... Um, a vaccinated woman. I perceive myself that way, so <laughs> leave me alone. I'm vaccinated. I perceive myself as, that's what I perceive myself as. Our kids are allowed to do it, but we're not allowed to do it. Think of how crazy it is. So there's fornication in that sense. There's an uncleanness to it because it's inclusive of every sexual practice. But more often as well in the scripture, spiritual fornication speaks of the fact of idolatry. God called Israel his adulterous wife because she was sleeping around with Baal and Ashtar and all these other gods. There's something unclean spiritually as well about this whole system. Her judgment is in the last days when she has global influence. Verse 3 says, he wants to show, so look, so he carried me away in the spirit. You'll find that several times, three other times, I believe, in the book of Revelation, he is in the spirit. He carried me away in the spirit into, King James says, the wilderness. There's no article anywhere in the Greek. So it is, he carried me away in the spirit into wilderness. Wilderness. 
desolation. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full, the beast is full of the names, plural, of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So when we hear wilderness here in the United States, we think of a forest. This part of the world, when we hear, I was carried into, not the wilderness, just wilderness, that's desolation, it's desert, it's nothing. There's no trees, just carried to this place. And he said, when I'm carried there, I see this this woman, this great whore, and she's seated upon this beast. It says, <clears throat> she's upon this scarlet-colored beast. The scarlet-colored beast is full of names of blasphemies, and the beast has seven heads and ten horns. We know that's both the Antichrist, the Antichrist kingdom, 13, 1, tells us this is the great dragon himself, chapter 12, verse 3, and so forth. Satan is behind the system. It isn't the woman that has seven heads and ten horns. No harlot could stay in business with seven heads and ten horns. It's the beast she's riding on seven heads and ten horns here in this picture and this religious system is seated upon this antichrist kingdom that's global and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup and in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great. Take notice of that, the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the kings of the earth. When we get to the last verse, which kind of carries us into the next chapter, it says, the woman which thou sawest is, notice, that great city. So we, we have to wonder again what this is. Chapter 14, in verse 8 says, there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Listen, that great city. Then in chapter 16, verse 19, it says, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God. Here it is mystery Babylon, the great. In the last verse of this chapter, it is called that great city. In chapter 18, verse 2, Babylon, the great. In chapter uh, verse 9, it says that great city, Babylon. Nine, um, 18, 16, that great city, um, chapter 18, verse 18, what city is like unto this great city? Uh, verse 19, that great city. And then finally down to verse 21, that great city, Babylon. I'm not sure exactly how that fits, but I'll tell you this. I think there's a city. <laughs> Usually when the Bible says something eight or nine times, you're supposed to get it. So is, is the, uh, the headquarters of this Babylonian system, it's not Jerusalem. Some say Rome. There could be another option. It could be Babylon. Um, 
We're going to look at that. But here he's taken back to wilderness, to desolation, and he's shown mystery Babylon. He's shown the inception of all of this. Look, tells us this in Genesis, and uh, I'm going to turn to chapter 10. Understand, after the flood in Noah's day, um, God established government. But the government, human government that God established was to be local, it was to be national. It was not to be global government. That starts in chapter 11, when the people who have survived the flood and a new generation been born, they decide that they all need to be one people under one religious system, build one city with one tower, and God then has to confuse their languages and disperse them. That's why in all, every culture around the world there's things similar to... Uh, Semiramis and Tammuz. There's stories about the flood in over 230 cultures around the world. <clears throat> Their global governance is not something that God instituted for fallen man. Local government works better because of all the problems we have. Global governance is is due to nothing but failure because tyranny is what's ultimately going to be expressed in global governance, no matter how good the idea seems. Global governance is something that Satan has wanted from the beginning. He said to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, all of the glory of them. They're given to me and to whomsoever I will give them. Jesus didn't argue with them. We want global governance when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords takes a seat in Jerusalem, I'm in the global governance. And I'm a globalist when Jesus is running the globe, right? That's when I'm a globalist. I'm not a globalist when the Antichrist is running the globe. Of course, I'll be in heaven, but I won't be a globalist there either. But Mystery Babylon, in the 10th chapter of Genesis, and Dr. William F. Albright, who was not a believer, but world-renowned archaeologist, anthropologist, said... The ancient record of Genesis 10, the Table of Nations, is unsurpassed anywhere in history in its accuracy. Remarkable, right? What it tells us here in chapter 10, it says, And Cush begot Nimrod. He uh, began to be a mighty one in the earth. Some say the, the... um, Targum say, a mighty hunter of the souls of men. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, that's before the Lord defiantly. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, which means confusion, and the other thing it means is Bab, gate, El of God. So isn't it interesting? It has that double meaning, confusion gate of God, and Erek, and Echad, and Kalna, all of this, it says, in the land of Shinar, the area of Iraq today, and out of the land went forth Asher, Assyria, builded Nineveh, and the city of Roboth, and Kalna, and then it tells us in chapter 11, 
as these nations are getting established, they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach to heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the, earth, the whole earth. And the idea you read there, they wanted a global government. Never God's plan. <clears throat> so out of this original system, after the flood, Satan hates the fact that the Lord told him, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3.15, that he was going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman would crush his head, though he would wound the seed of the woman. There's never a seed of the woman anywhere in the Bible. It's always the seed of the man, except there, that prophecy of the virgin birth. Satan perverts that. In ancient Babylon, long before Nebuchadnezzar, you have Nimrod, who is mentioned here, and he's mentioned in Ezekiel and Tammuz and so forth. Nimrod marries Semiramis, supposedly extremely beautiful. Nimrod, one of the mighty ones of old, great hunter, he marries Semiramis. Nimrod is killed while he is hunting. And I don't know, it was, you know, an accident hunting exposition, he's killed. And then Semiramis claims within a short time that she is pregnant and she's pregnant and hasn't been with a man, and that this sunbeam shone on her, and she conceived, and she gives birth to a son named Tammuz. Tammuz becomes a savior. He's known as the savior. And all through Babylon, there are pictures of the Madonna holding this baby. Tammuz, when he becomes an adult, is gored, by a wild ox or a wild boar, they go back and forth, and he's dead, killed. Forty days later, he comes back to life and is resurrected, and then the feast of Ishtar is instituted. You know, we have Easter, the resurrection. I don't celebrate Ishtar. I love Easter, but I don't celebrate Ishtar. But the idea is in all this Babylonian stuff, you have the beginnings of these things. That formula then finds its way through Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, into Rome with Venus and Cupid, all the way through there's going to be this system with the Madonna, with this power, with this godless, immoral religion that includes everybody and everything and that's going to go all the way to the last days. That's the mystery Babylon. Next week we're going to see her riding on seven world kingdoms, it says. That religious system is inclusive. Your problem and my problem is that we are part of an exclusive religious system. Muslims believe in one God. They're monotheists. That's exclusive. The Jews believe in one God, Yahweh. That's exclusive. The Christians believe in one God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, look, 
That's why Jerusalem is a cup of tremblings, because there's three exclusive religions there that ain't going to cooperate with each other. The whore is an inclusive religion. Everybody gets to be part of it. They hate us because we're exclusive. We have Christian morals. We have Christian ideas about creation. We have Christian ideas about destiny. We have Christian ideas about our responsibility. We have Christian ideas about marriage. We are an exclusive religion. I'm exclusive. I believe in a Jewish Messiah of the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem, Judea, who walked among us, who bore my sins, who was crucified, who rose on the third day, who has ascended into heaven and is returning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he alone is going to rule over the earth. That's what I believe. I'm exclusive. The whore system doesn't want me. They don't want that. What they want is inclusive. Everything's fine. We're all hunky-dory. We're all buddies. We're all friends. We're not haters. We all love you. You believe what? Oh, you believe in penguins? Great. You believe in this? You believe in that? You believe in bubblegum? That's up to you. Your religion, you have to eat 18 donuts a day? God bless you. I understand that. Right? <clears throat> Very interesting picture here that's put before us of this great whorish system, Mystery Babylon the Great, and she is the mother. She gave birth to all of the harlot systems of the earth and their abominations and so forth. And then John says in verse 6, you know, when I saw the woman drunken, your translation may say drinking, that's the idea, She's drunken because she'd been drinking the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, when I saw her, blew my mind. He said, I saw this religious system, all of these claims, but then I realized this is she's drunken through history with the 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 blood of the saints, the Old Testament prophets, the believers in Israel, whether it's Egypt, whether it's Assyria, you know. Uh, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, the slaughter was unbelievable. Whether Medo-Persia, at one point they were going to kill every Jew alive. You know, the Greeks, the Romans, Antiochus Epiphanes, and then Rome, the power that was at that point in time. He, he said, I realize this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And he said, when I, when I looked at this great Woman, this great religious system soaked in blood and in murder, immorality. He said, I was amazed with great amazement. Um, evidently, we're to see something as we look at this. You know, let me show you, let me, uh, heaven's voice. Let me show you something, John. Here's heaven. Come with me. Fourth chapter, caught up. And I want to show you things which must be hereafter. But in this scene, the Lamb of God slain, the multitudes gathered, the incredible picture, the, the seals beginning to be open. Then there's another thing that John and you and I must see. The world we're living in is beginning to bow its knee to globalism. Commercially, religiously, in every way, 
And slowly, you and I are going to be the haters because we're exclusive. You and I are going to be the ones. I'll probably be in trouble before you. Um, you know, the, the, we're going to be the ones. And th- that's where it's going. It's okay. And look, to me, our responsibility is because you and I have seen the other woman, which is the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of God from heaven, our eternal destiny. You know, that, that burns in your heart. Particularly, isn't it interesting... The days we're living in, you've been thinking about heaven more than you had the last 10 10 years or so, haven't you? Yeah, that's a good thing. That's an anchor for our soul. So why the heck are we here then? Lord, just get us out of here. Well, he chose us for such a time as this. All I can imagine is, look, he knew we would be best now. I mean, I think of my grandkids. I think of the little ones. Lord, the, the world they're growing up in. And the Lord said, yeah, but I put them here now. We need to be sharing his love with a lost world. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be a testimony. And it's going to be harder and harder to do that, but that's the only purpose of being here. And we are seeing people saved. And sometimes when I see people saved, I think, Lord, is this the last gleanings of the corners of the field after the harvest? Or is this a trickle? Is the dam ready to break? Are we going to see another great harvest before you come? I don't know. Either one is fine with me. Right? But we are his testimony. We are his sons and daughters. We're supposed to be able to give an answer to every man for the hope that we have because the world we're living in is hopeless. And it's going to get more so. And a religious system that is not exclusive but inclusive is going to swallow the whole world. It's not that far ahead of us. So let's stand. Let's pray. Read ahead. You think this is crazy? Read the next part. (laughs) And if you're here today, look. If you're here today and you don't know Christ is your Savior, you could be thinking a number of things. One is, I should have stayed home. One is, what in the world are they talking about? Well, you know, one is, you know, uh, I knew my, my relative was involved in a cult. Look beyond all the machinations of your mind in your heart if you're listening you're hearing truth beyond all the excuses we can make in our mind the heart always makes a convert of the mind and in your heart I hope you're saying you know what I want to know about this God of love I want to know that I can turn to him, that there is a religious system, that there is something that's real. I want to know that I can have my sins forgiven and go to heaven. If those things are going on inside of you, you're not going to be able to reconcile them with your intellect. But people live by desire, not thought. The heart is where the issues of life flow forth from. So as we sing this last song... And you think, you know what, I want to be saved. I want to know, that you, I want to know what this book is talking about. I, I want to know my sins are forgiven. That, believe me, that's the religious system you want to be part of. Then as we sing this last song, I ask you to get out of your seat and come down and stand here. If a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, go down with me. I know this is all crazy, but come on, come on, you get down with me. And we want to pray with you because it's the time for you to repent of your sin, to turn away from your sin, the sin that the world is handing us on a silver platter. Turn away from your sin and turn to the Savior 
and say, I want to be yours. I want to be washed. I want to be cleansed. I want to have eternity in your presence. So let me pray, then we'll worship. And if he's tugging on your heart today, you come. Lord, I know you've overheard. And Lord, this is crazy stuff, Lord. Working through this, Lord. These pictures, these images, Lord. And uh, we thank you for them, Lord. They're, they're, they make an impression upon us and upon our memory. And Lord, we see this stuff all over the news. We see it all around us these days. So Lord, help us every day to, to sense the prophetic tension between the present and the future. To, to have the reality of your prophetic word speaking to us and demonstrating itself to us in every direction we look. Lord, let that be real for us. Let it clean us, Lord. Let it strengthen us. Let it renew us. And Lord, for those that are here today that have never turned to you, never known you, Lord, have always had just religion and never relationship, who are empty, who are tired, tired of trying to do it on their own, Lord, would you draw them today? You add to the church daily, such as should be saved. It's your work, Lord Jesus. We look to you, we pray in your name. Amen.